0: Hello, and thank you for joining us again on Into the Prey. We've got a quick favour to ask you guys before listening to this week's episode. We want to ask you to go ahead to rate and review Into the Prey so that we can lift the level of what we're doing further. Visibility in the podcast charts would help with that massively. It would also help to address the imbalance where folk can often be very specific and more than willing to leave reviews or so-called reviews when they're not happy with what we're doing. So there are, we believe a vast majority of you who are happy and appreciative and grateful It would be very good to convert that into rates and reviews that give us a more reflective presence in the podcast chart. So if you go ahead and do that, we've also got a new Patreon page. If you want to become one of our patrons stroke supporters, please do follow that link, look at the information and consider doing that as well. Thanks again for listening and please do feel free to use the contact page to drop us a line with any questions, thoughts or reflections. The devil wants that. On the one half is the blessing camp, and on the other half is the repent camp. That's what the devil wants, okay, and that is what's happening. But actually, it comes back to this misunderstanding of what it means to, to know and worship and love a good God is that the blessing is the repentance. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to Into the Pray. This is an audio recording today that you're about to hear from one of my video recordings this week, video uh, calls with 12 church leaders up and down the country. As we begin to pull together a new video stroke vlog series, looking at two podcast series that have grabbed our attention in the last year or so. One is from the BBC called End of Days. It's an expose of the Waco disaster with the demonically either... Oppressed or possessed David Koresh, the cult that ended in um, explosions and FBI, all sorts of things. So check that out. It's if you're interested by way of preparation. The other one is a Christianity Today podcast. And that's to do with the rise and fall of Marcel and the abusive leadership of Mark Driscoll. So we, we're we pulling on the experiences, thoughts and reflections of church leaders up and down the country to look at what the devil is doing in these types of scenarios. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We're not to be outwitted by him. And our production of this vlog series is in order to do that. It's to ensure that the church are not outwitted by the schemes of the devil. And I think that's what's happening. We, we, we will we'll go into the detail of that in the vlog series themselves over on YouTube. So feel free to go ahead and subscribe there if you're interested in the content. The audio that you're about to hear today is from Melvin Tinker, and he's one of the church leaders that I interviewed. But I felt his contribution was so important regarding one of the biggest issues, I think, if not the biggest issue when it comes to the dysfunction of the church and that is repeatedly dealt with, as though it was some kind of trivial issue that we can just kind of look the other way and pretend it's not a reality or sweep it under the carpet or just bend and whatever to the prevailing winds of cultural narrative. This is not one of those issues. This issue of... Um, authority in the church, spiritual authority, is of the utmost importance. And if you're a church leader who reads the book of Revelation and you read and maybe even read out loud the recurring refrain of he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In my opinion, this is up there at the top of what the Spirit is saying because the consequences of ignoring what God is saying and has written clearly in his word is literally in some cases deathly and you can read an article in the show notes called the death and dearth of spiritual authority that I wrote a few months ago we'll go straight over to Melvin Tinker now and as I say please do look out for the vlog series over on YouTube starting in the next week if you'd like to support us we'd be very grateful for that as we continue to make this media more accessible and at a higher quality for as many people as possible
1: um, so I'm Melvin Tinker and um, I'm now re- officially retired, uh, although um, I've been given the, the title of Director of Theology of the Christ Church Network here in Hull. And for 26 years, I was the vicar of St. John's New Linden Hull. And... Um, I've written various things, various books, articles over the years, primarily to do with doctrine and also the relationship between church and culture. Yeah, one of the uh, books that has been selling very, very well uh, recently uh, is one uh, called That Hideous Strength How the West Was Lost. And this is basically a critique of cultural Marxism, what's called cultural Marxism or critical theory. And what I try to do there is to show how. Um, Over the last 50 years or so, uh, a a revolution has actually taken place in the West and it's been a very successful revolution. Um, And basically what's happened is that uh, Marxist ideas are really now in the ascendant, uh, not only in academia, uh, but also through media and through marketing. And even though people may not have any idea of, of what cultural Marxism is, um, the fact is, we've all been influenced by it. So the whole thing to do with um, the woke culture, for instance, that notion of inclusivity, um, the, the basic sense that uh, of what is now considered to be the the, the norm, which one cannot criticise, you simply got to accept the council culture. All of these things actually flow from what's called cultural Marxism. So it's Marxism, but not. In, in a sort of classical sense, which um, sees the overflow, uh, overthrow of uh, the ruling um, capitalist system, which is the, the root of all evils as far as Marx was concerned by violent revolution, but but through changing culture. So instead of, as we're seeing politics as being the dominant thing, uh, the idea is you see culture and culture shapes politics, culture shapes everything, uh, the way we see, the way we think about things. And so the way we think about things now and see things uh, is a far cry from the way we used to, uh, say, earlier on in the 20th century. I think to some extent or, or to a large degree, um, what we've seen in the 20th century, um, particularly in, in, in relation to the church, is, if you like, a feminization of the church. Uh, certainly one of the influences of this is um, second wave uh, feminism. And uh, I'm behind, and, and related to that, of course, uh, the whole notion of uh, e- equality and, and things like that, much of which one would agree with, I have to say that. Um, and I think one of the reactions against this, and I think a negative reaction um, by some churches, evangelical churches I'm thinking of now, um, is... Um, an understanding of male leadership, which actually isn't particularly biblical, uh, but really is actually it's, it's, um, it's simply mirroring um, a view of the world's understanding of what masculinity is. And it's a macho thing. It's a sort of John Wayne Clint Eastwood uh, type of uh, masculinity, which is a, a million years, uh, million light years away from, say, the masculinity, which is beautifully modelled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here you have uh, the, the perfect man, uh, very clear, very um, understanding uh, of his own identity as a Son of God, uh, with a particular mission which he's going to go to, to the cross, and all that that entails. Um, a a confrontation, you know, where he, he was not afraid to, to confront the hypocritical religious authorities of his day, uh, and even the political structures of his day. Um, but yet you also have somebody who's incredibly tender, especially towards towards women. You think of uh, the woman of the will, for instance, and Martha and, and Mary. And and so this one who is incredibly strong, strong enough to go to the cross, strong enough uh, and masculine enough, if you like, to um, call together 12 male disciples, pretty rough and ready, many of them. Um and yet he's also described in those wonderful words from Isaiah, that he's the one who will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. And um and 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 that's in other words, here you've got a masculinity which is which is strong in its gentleness, if we if can put it like that. Um, but over and against that reaction, uh, over and against, I think, um, what has been seen to be the feminization of the church, where uh, less and less men were coming to the church, um, increased female leadership of the church, uh, with, in the Church of England, for instance, with the ordination of women to the so-called priesthood. Um, and, I th- and I would suggest, actually, I think, um, in the charismatic churches where you, you get the portrayal of couples it's the man and the woman, and in some cases, the woman, that's actually the dominant one. You, you get this uh, reaction, which I think we've seen with Mark, Mark Driscoll, of this a very aggressive, uh, macho um, portrayal of, of so-called male leadership. Uh, but as I said, it is a travesty of male leadership that we have, either with the Lord Jesus Christ or the Apostle Paul, for example. Um, so the complementarian position, which is one I would hold because I believe it is thoroughly and totally biblical, is that male and female are equal but different, uh, not only bio, clearly biologically, physiologically, but also the way in which we're constituted uh, mentally, um, the, the way in which we're wise, very different. Mm. And, and this is uh, God's design uh, that men and women complement each other. Um, I have what may, men have certain strengths. And, and, uh, and certain inclinations and so on, um, which are balanced by, by the woman and so on. And this has worked out well in, in marriage. Um, and we, we've been married now 45 years, my wife I and I. And, um, and it's just been a delight under God to see in the way that has been worked out uh, to our benefit, without any doubt, and also our children's benefit. Egalitarianism really, I think, cuts across this idea of um, well, basically that whatever differences there may be, um, they're, they're they're not that that significant. And the ter- and the and the and the crucial point is is, is a question of, you no know, people don't like the term, but authority. Um, now there's again the difference between exercising authority, which is God given, and authoritarianism, which again can be an overreaction and abusive. And it seems to me when you look at, for instance, the um, the, well the teaching of the apostle Paul, for instance in, in one Timothy and what he what he actually says there about a woman's role within a, within the a church um I'm certainly not I'm, I'm not at all convinced with the argument that well this is simply uh, cultural when he says a woman should lend in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority uh, over a man she must be uh, quiet. I don't think it's cultural because really then goes on, you see, to go back to uh, Genesis 3, for Adam was formed first. So there you've got this, this structure in which God has ordered um, his universe and ordered um, uh, humankind for their flourishing. And what you see actually with the fall um, is it's not that, um, you know, it's, it has, some people have taken that there's, there's something sexual in all of this, the fall. But, um, Adam was given his job. Was he was given the commandment, not not Eve. He was given the commandment not could uh, eat any fruit, but not of the fruit uh, of the knowledge of of, um, of good and evil. Um, so what happens? Well, the serpent comes along, and he ta- he, he 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 targets Eve, um, and then she engages in the dialogue with with the serpent. Uh, which is fatal in in, and of itself. And while all of this is going on, you're asking the question, well, where's Adam? Well, the answer, I think, clearly is there in in the Hebrew text. He's standing next to her because she then turns and gives. So throughout this, instead of protecting, uh, which was his role, um, instead of uh, submitting to God's authority delightfully, which was his role, uh, what did Adam do? The answer is zip. He did nothing, and that was his major fault. And uh, and as a result, then everything gets that's twisted out of shape, um, and and you see that with the curses that that are that are pronounced afterwards, and that's where you then get so-called battle of the sexes, really stemming back to this. And it seems to me that what you're getting um, in many churches where the egalitarian position is is being promoted is almost a replay of that. So it, it, it's almost in, it's pretty well, as I've observed it, almost inevitable that what happens is that the, 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 the woman becomes dominant, takes the dominant role, and the man becomes a submissive one, and the silent one. And that is a replay of Genesis 3. And when you consider the, literally the cosmic effects of, of that, it's not surprising that you, you get a similar sort of fallout uh, within churches today. So it, it's in one sense, it is a crisis of authority, but it's, it's a crisis of authority, I think a deeper crisis of authority, because it's to do with God's authority, the way in which God has structured the world and has ordered the world for our flourishing and for our good. Uh, our sin, we either get rid of the boundaries, we try and get rid of the boundaries, um, and, and we certainly try and subvert them and invert them. And whenever we do that, it always ends in disaster.
0: Do you think there, uh, thank you so much for putting that so clearly and concisely. Um, Do do you think there is a, an awareness, even remotely generally, across the landscape of the British church, that it is a disaster?
1: Um, I'm not sure that there is that awareness. It, 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 it's pretty obvious. I mean, <laughs> from, the, from the point of view of church growth, for example, now I'm not I'm not saying we should be pragmatists. I, I believe we should be principled and it's biblical principles that we got to work through. And then there will be pragmatic consequences for the good. I think, if, if one sticks to, to what the Bible teaches. But the fact, the plain fact is, um, Yes. Wherever you, wherever you look, whenever denominations, uh, again, let's let's look at it in, in terms of female leadership in the church, um, in terms of pastors. Those churches, those denominations, which have gone down that route, have all declined. Now, I'm not saying it's the only factor, but I think it's a significant factor. They've declined, um, and and there be there be reasons for that decline, but not least. I think, one, A, because it goes against God's design and therefore there will not be God's blessing. Um, but also because w- what should be, be modelled within the church, you've you got two households. You've got, if you like, the human household. You've got the, the, the household of God. And, the t- and and that's what I think you, you get there in Scripture and, and certainly in the Timothy um, where the household terminology is, is used. Um, that m- there's male leadership, male headship, and it's not just a matter of source. I think that the notion of headship in 1 uh, Corinthians 11 and so on is is, is not a question of source. Uh, it's a question of authority. And certainly it's a loving authority. It's a caring authority. It's not authoritarian. But that is the way in which it's structured. You start to invert that, you get distru- you get the whole thing unraveling. And it's the same in, in, in families. Um, and where you have either the absent father, in terms of either he's not being around, who is left, you know, he's, he's at work all the time, or he abdicates his responsibility, he comes home too tired, he can't be bothered, then that's going to result in a dysfunctional family. So I, I think in, in both areas we're seeing um, um, a lot of damage being being done. In the in the home because of of the inversion of that or the absence of the the father or uh in in the, in the church um but but i think the, the reason why some um churches don't see it as a, as a problem is because they don't want to see it as a problem because to 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 go down this route or rather to go back to to what scripture says and goes back going back to god design is to go right against what um, what secular culture is saying, um, to some degree. Um, and that brings the church into conflict with the culture. And, and rather than, um, you know, uh, standing counterculture, um, it's much easier in the short term to go along with culture. But you pay the price for it. And speaking again in a, in a church in church context, and uh, obviously coming from a Church of England setting, but my my observations have been this: that um, with 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 female leaderships at the local church level of vicar, or even at the level of say a bishop, female bishop, and whatever. Uh, and again, it's a generalization. There will be exceptions, but as a generalization, there tends to be a sort of adoption of more of a male <laughs> certainly male authoritarianism adopted by the woman. And and so which again I would suggest goes should goes against the nature and, and again just shows how corrupt it is. Um so rather than uh, I'm not name names I could do but but one's observed this that instead of there being um, you know you it may be portrayed. Oh well, this is where you're going to get the gentle, kind, listening soul. I I I've, I found the opposite. There tends to be belligerence, a um, uh, very hard, uh, hard-nosed attitude uh, towards people and certainly to biblical authority, and almost bully a bullying um, side to things. And that clearly is is, is wrong. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it, that on the one hand, to say, oh, we, we need the, the woman's voice and, and the like, but the way in which it's 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 often then manifests itself um, in 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 a in, in a in a setting where authority has to be exercised, it, it tends to be over in, a, in an authoritarian kind of way. This is what you're going to do, um, whereas. I would say, and of course, male men can behave like that as well. But it's, it's it's interesting. I think that female actually adopt that kind of behavior, which we would go which would, which would we would rail against. Um, whereas I, I I think the if you like, um, the, in the terms of the proper structure, and I'm all for, by the way, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there there are no female leadership positions within the church. Of course there are, and. Um, We've always, uh, as we built a staff team uh, at our church, uh, I was very insistent that we had females on the staff. It's absolutely fundamental, uh, and particularly when decisions were being made. And, and my wife has been great because, you know, there are a, um, women are able to see things and intuit things which Dumbo men can't do. And so that's the complementary side of things, of which I, I have been, um, I'm sure. Um, preserved from many disasters simply a by the the wisdom of my wife and say well have you thought of it like this Um, and also by other female members of staff which are absolutely valuable but in terms of the way in which God has has structured things um, the if you you like the the the, well the primary ultimate authority is God um, and under that within the church structure it has to be male
0: just on the on the female issue then authority, which struck me there as you were speaking, is the specific way that um control and manipulation and often emotional emotional control and manipulation come into that mix um, where there is this kind of um form of male authority, spiritual authority, but by the woman, you know, it takes on it doesn't just take it doesn't just shift to become a a kind of feminized version i think it becomes something quite different i think it i think there's a control and an emotional manipulative type of pattern i've seen that um i don't know if it's worth talking about that in, in terms of how intimidating it can be particularly if it's a spiritually charged demonic reality and again i think that's that's often the case i, I don't particularly want you to talk about the jezebel spirit or anything but unless you want to um Trying to help leaders just to recognise what's going on. This, this, what's going on in society that is spiritual and demonic, and, and is often emotionally manipulative and controlling. So be on the lookout for that. Having, having infiltrated this general understanding of what the church is.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. People do talk about the Jezebel spirit. You know, referring to um, well, both the, the the historical situation with. Um, ahab got that right um and uh, and jezebel uh and jezebel was from um uh, was a pagan queen um and in, and uh, really promoted baal worship in, in israel uh, and ahab um again was a weak king so basically you know who wore the britches, if you like in in that relationship um and um and led to to you know terrible disaster and apostasy and Elijah had to stand up uh, toward, uh, against them. But then in the book of Revelation, again, there's this reference to, to, to Jezebel being um, uh, sort of tolerated uh, within within the church. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means necessarily, um, possibly, um, again, just allowing pagan practices and pagan thoughts to, to infiltrate. Uh, and you know that this is a prophetess as well, um, but I, I would also suspect it. It has something to do with um, the, the the way in which Jezebel's power uh, and influence would be exercised. So you you see that again, going back to the historical Jezebel with with Ahab, uh, how she 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 panders, uh, or, or rather she. Um, yeah, she sort of manipulates his weaknesses and his and his and his covetousness and um and say, look you're the king you can do what you want and so you you know you're Nabos vineyard that dreadful incident there um and 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 one can can see again how that would work itself out uh, within it within a church setting and i think that the it, it it can go in in two directions. I mean, one I've already mentioned, which is if you like taking on, if you like the traditional male persona of of aggressiveness, which again you see in Jezebel. But also the the sort of soft, vulnerable female persona, if I can put it like that. Um, and and a man can find it very difficult to. <laughs> you know, to, to to respond to that, if that is being used to to get their way, if you like, in making a decision. Um, whereas, if, if it was a, if you like, if it's male on male, there tends to be okay. Let's have a robust discussion about this. Let's let's get it out in the the, the open. You go hammer and tongs about it. Hopefully, at the end of it, you're still friends. But you've you've got it out there. Um, and And I've been in a situation where it's simply oh yeah, well, that's a male way of thinking and so again that that you know can put one at a disadvantage and and actually mess up the whole way in which a church can go forward in a healthy way in making you know, godly
0: decisions. I had, I'll just quickly tell you this because it was what you've just said. I was I was out with Mary and uh, we walked into this bagel shop in Edinburgh, the three of us. I had a mask on, Mary had a mask on, and the other lady who's also called Mary didn't have her mask on. She'd just forgotten. And we walked in and there was this woman behind and you walk in and you feel, I felt it, felt it straight away. It was just an atmosphere of stress. And mm. we were, we were barked. You mentioned belligerence. We were barked at, mm. um, even once we'd realized the friend hadn't got it on, it wasn't, there wasn't enough grace. She was barked out. It was just, it was shocking really Mm. was. And um, I was, I was so vexed and this hasn't happened to me once during this whole COVID thing. Mm. We had to go outside and wait and then we we, took our order. Then we had to, we were being barked by the same woman to to get away from the front door, which was effectively into the road. Mm. Anyway, I, I challenged, Challenged challenges women. I felt so provoked. Mm. And I asked, I asked for a quiet word. I wasn't, wasn't wanting a scene, but I was wanting to say, hey, listen, we'll never come back here. Do you want us to do you want me to t- explain why? And she was doing this whole thing. So we were out on the street at this point. And she was just doing this whole thing where she was accentuating her distance. So she wouldn't, <laughs> she was so she was like standing awkwardly away from me. So that it was impossible to have a quiet word. And um no, as soon as I started to have this conversation with her, she just broke down in tears. Mm. What was I supposed to do?
1: Yeah, well, y- your natural reaction is to apologise and to be sympathetic and to, well, perhaps yours isn't.
0: <laughs> well, no, no, it was. It's no, I, 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 The reason I was just thought I'd tell mm. you that story is because when you said that there about the way that women do that, Sometimes mm. it's, of course, it's genuine, and yeah. it, but it's a very powerful pull on the masculine heart, and it, this goes Indeed. back to this yeah. goes back to the thing about Jesus' nature. Mm. We should have that about women, whether it's lady being killed by a police officer, or it's it's this sense of um, the 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 role of men mm. with women more broadly. Yeah, but, but but,
1: that's right. There should be that sense of protection. You know the protective nature and and again that goes back to the way god is you know and that's the other thing by the way um i just thought about that but um with the feminization of the church you then get a feminization of god and it's no you know it's, it's a small step towards towards that that god himself is largely viewed in feminine terms now there are you know feminine you know I gather you like a chick, a, 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 a woman's a, a hen gathers her chicks, and and so on. Um, and um, you know, in Isaiah, he, he talks about uh, Israel and again, like he's a mother to them. So one's not denying those sort of metaphors being used of God, um, but um, but there's a difference between that and. The, the way in which God is portrayed as father, for instance, which is certainly uh, as Christians, of course, within with our, our, our um, commitment to the Trinity, um, is, 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 is a fundamental shift. So the notion of fatherhood with, with, with God is, is that of, uh, it, it, you know, it's an eternal fatherhood and the, you know, eternal generation of the son. Uh so it's we're we're talking about the very being of God and his identity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the moment you start um shoving in and trying to shoehorn in um female understand a female understanding of God, you end up with a totally different God. You end up with, well, it's again paganism, and it's no, it's no coincidence that you 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 know you do have um Achura and so on, you know, in, in paganism, you do have a female, uh, you have female gods in, in which in a way you do not have uh, with um, the Judeo-Christian God. There's a lot of implications for this. You know, it, it's not just a sort of sociological thing, I think, when we, we talk about complementarism or egalitarianism, we're, 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 we're pushing it our way, I think, or we're moving our way towards, if you like, deep theology. In, in relation to the, the 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 nature of God as creator and our nature as creatures. Um, and those are the sort of things which are in danger of being disrupted. And you know, in, in some cases you, you you've got the radical form of that where God is spoken of as mother. It's interesting, I mean, throughout history and, and church history, um you 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 get a movement from one extreme to another, but this is the way in which it seems to me that the devil works he'll pushes it hard in one direction um and then hopefully one will see the errors of that and then there'll be a slow move towards perhaps the middle but no then there'll be a push towards the other direction and And that creates a sort of, if you like, a spiritual cognitive dissonance going on, you know, and you're disorientated. But that is exactly what the devil wants. Whereas God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. Um, He has created an orderly world. Uh, He himself, if you like, and put it like this, is is an orderly God. Um, The devil is a liar, is the father of lies, and he's also the master of chaos. Uh, and and confusion, and wherever possible, he will sow confusion. And um, what better way to do it than by pointing to extremes in order to get people to move to another extreme? So um, on the one hand, you know, you have um, the, so the Mark Driscoll episode um, and... Uh, People, you know, that ever would have us look at that, and, and say, so well, look. This is, this is where your um, uh, your your um, complementarian um, theology, your Calvinistic theology, leads uh, leads to um, this alpha male, aggressive, uh, abusive, uh, uh, crude um, form of, of leadership. Um, and so what, what, what you you know so you you run away from that and so you go into the other extreme of um of, well totally feminized um male ought to know their position uh, which is you know um, below females uh, in, uh, in 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 the, in the structure um and and the, and that begins to uh, to unravel whereas, if we if we go humbly and joyfully and delightfully to God's revelation in Scripture, um, what, what he presents to us is, is, is something which is good and which is wholesome and which is beautiful. And there are plenty of good examples you could point to, I think, and say, look, there, it does work.
0: Do you think there's anything that even begins to get close to persuading you that egalitarianism is biblical?
1: no <laughs> uh, there's nothing there's not nothing biblical um i mean some of the arguments uh, i've read which are just so weak you know so i mean one by some notable scholar who i've got a great regard for i won't mention the name um but um looks at for instance the the list of um women mentioned by the apostle paul at the end of romans you know uh, in other words look at all these women here they're very significant and very important um, in, um, in 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 the life and and uh, work of the church and the mission of, of the apostle Paul, um, and and then to move from there to say and um, therefore the next step, you know, the trajectory, if you like, of if Paul had been around a bit longer, he would have moved in the direction of egalitarianism very clearly and would have presented it. Well, that's two two things really. Um, one, it seems to me that um, that you, that's not a premise that's been justified. And um, you, you've got to have a bit more evidence than that. And I think if you, you know, you just look at a list of names, what let, let's just be a bit more restrained in this. And what does this tell you? Well it tells you, which no one's going to argue about, the importance of women in the life of the early church. Uh, and the importance of women in the life of the church now. You know, but but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean they can then move on to talk about and go on and say yes. Well, therefore, one can have women's leadership in in, in the church in terms of senior pastors and so on. It 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 doesn't follow. It's a non secretaire
0: It's contrived at best and yeah. culturally informed at worst. And, that, and that's my concern mm-hmm. that a lot a lot of um, a lot of guys are more culturally dictated to than than they realize
1: it's interesting talking about eschatological awareness um but i've been thinking more recently that where we're lack where we're lacking as a church is, is not so much thinking about the second coming of christ but it's much more to do with the ascension of christ because we tend to th- move if you like from okay we've gone to the resurrection jesus ascended and the next thing is in, in one sense, is true, uh, is his return and the creation of new heaven and new earth. As if Jesus is not doing anything at the moment. <laughs> no, the, the awareness we must have is that Jesus is Lord. It's not that he's going to be Lord. He is Lord. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. um He is working out all. Um, you know, again, the Book of Revelation. You know the. Uh, um, the the breaking of uh, the seven seals and and, and all that sort of imagery. Um, He is presently at work in the world, in salvation, and actually in in judgment. It is Jesus who is doing this. uh, The the theological term is, is the mediatorial kingdom. The father has handed this over to his son, and he is working all these things through now for his glory and for the sake of his bride, the church. So I, I think where the gap is now is a failure to to realise Jesus is Lord, submitting to his kingship and his lordship. We're in his kingdom. And the trouble is, I think if one focuses, if you like, too much on the, if you like, the second coming and, and that dimension, the eschatology, um it, it can leave, it can appear to leave a bit of a gap, a bit of a void, which has then got to be filled with something. So either it's going to be filled with crazy ideas, or it's going to be filled with um, basically the the world, or the world's ideas. You know, so whatever the, the cultural um, topic of the day is, that will come flooding in, and we we fill that that gap, if you like, between Christ's first coming, resurrection, and his second coming, with all these other things, rather than realizing that that gap actually does not be filled by anything. It is filled at the moment by the risen and ascended Christ, who rules his church by his word um, through his spirit. Um, And and that is what we've got to get back to. Christ is Lord. Every part of this universe is his. Um, He is imminent. Um, He he is present by his spirit. Uh, Bodily, he's in heaven, ruling. at the right hand of his father but by his spirit he's, he is uh, he is he is at work um, and his church need to realize that and submit to him as lord and his word and his presentation of what is uh, rather than either f- filling it in with our own crazy ideas or simply allowing it to be filled in with the world's ideas
0: it reminds me there of what you're saying about Thomas Good. I don't know if you have read Thomas Goodwin, The Heart of Christ, and his. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that's that was the. I mean, I when I read the Dale Ortland book, I went straight to the source and read yeah. Goodwin himself.
1: You know, with what you get with them, with with the Puritans, John Owen, and so on, is this strong sense of the the the, the glory and the majesty of the ascended Christ. He's not disappeared in, in view out of view um and and of course when you look at the the letters of revelation you know um is the is the risen and ascended christ who is moving amongst the lampstands he is present uh he speaks and then hear you know what the spirit is saying to the churches but hang on who's been speaking it's jesus who has been speaking <laughs> and then we're to Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And and certainly I, I find, again, in in the in sort of liberal establishment of the Church of England, um, this appeal to, oh, we must listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's not listening to the Spirit. It's listening to the, <laughs> into the world. Um, because if you want to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, you read Scripture and you apply it.
0: Again, so simple. Listening to a spirit, not the spirit. Yeah. Um, Just if it's okay to press you a little bit more on this this eschatological awareness, because um, I think what you're saying is so helpful. Again, I've not heard anyone answer that question in that way. But ultimately, I think we're talking about yearning for Jesus. Mm. Um, Philippians 121, rather dying for me to live as Christ dies gain what essentially what I'm asking you is what do you think is a healthy eschatological awareness that is including what you've just said, but there's more yeah. to it. I think
1: I'll take it. Can to take a step back um, and sort of link it in, I think with what's happened to us as a culture. I'm drawing on uh, Charles Taylor's uh, work now uh, where his understanding of what he calls the secular society um, isn't one where, uh, isn't the sort of traditional one where you've got, oh, increased irreligion and Christianity is just being pushed further to the margins of that. That's the case. Um, But um, his understanding is that what's, what's happened is that you've got a multiplication of beliefs. It's not that we're more irreligious or it was certainly not a religious uh, but we've got a variety of spiritualities, if you like, and, and, and religions, which are which are all contested and contestable. But one of the things that has happened, and we're all stuck in this, is what he calls the imminent frame. And that is um that we live in a world where by and well, basically what has been removed from us is the transcendent if you like, in the vertical dimension, and the eternal in the horizontal. So we're living like it within a box, the imminent frame. This is the here and now. And we're all in that, even Christians. Now, the, the question is, um, is there a transcendent or is there not a transcendent? Now, some hard-nosed secularists will say there's not a transcendent. That, that doesn't exist outside the box, if you like. Christians would say, no, there is a transcendent, and even non-Christians know deep down there is because there's signals of transcendence, as we said. You know, there's a sense there's something bigger and greater and sense of meaning and and purpose. Now, what it it seems to me is that Christians have have, uh, failed to engage with this understanding properly. So um, either, um, you know, they've in effect become functional secularists. The the transcendence sort of there, uh, but with some, if you like, hard-nosed conservative evangelicals, well, all that matters is the word, the preaching of the word. And and certainly affections don't come much into it. Uh, With some of the more sort of charismatic, um, it will be, yeah, there's a sort of, there is a transcendence there. Uh, and there is a certain way of accessing that, uh, which is usually through, um, you know, particular gurus, for example. Whereas we're saying, um, no, that the way in which God, uh, we we encounter the transcendent, is through His Word by His Spirit. And the other thing is this, that um, that the, the, that history is going somewhere. And it's not just the end of history. We are talking about eternity. There is our ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose will never be found in this world, even as Christians, but beyond this world. And particularly it's at the judgment day. That is that is when, um, you know, there is the coming together of all these things of Christ's lordship where there is that uh, determination that just that 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 reckoning if you like sort of you know of how we've lived our lives have we lived our lives in the light of eternity in the light of the reality of the glory and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ or even even if we've been busy doing things he, he, he's really been very much on the margin and that's where you get that frightening bit you know in, in mark 7 um when uh, he says, well, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles in your name? Now, Jesus didn't say, well, no, you didn't. They did. That's the, that's the tragedy, but he'll say, I never knew you. And, and that, that's the, those are the most frightening words that could ever be heard. And, and so, so I, I think it's recapturing this notion, which, again, the Puritans had. It was developed particularly by Jonathan Edwards, is that of spiritual affections, affections that are missing. If conservative evangelicals are great on the mind, if you like, the word and, and so on. Um, some of the charismatics might be talking about affections, but I'm not sure. I think that's much more of a sort of subjective thing, whereas affections are basically what we're talking about something external to which that which is deeply internal to us is connected. And that must be the Lord Jesus Christ. And for our yearning to be with him, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to long to be with him. Now, I think the reality is uh, now as you get older uh, and your body gets frailer um, and time passes by much more quickly, the things of eternity become much more um, important to you and, and impressed upon your, your mind. But at the end of the day, I, I guess, uh, if you want to sum up the problem I would say with the church in the West, and I'm thinking, okay, in, in, uh, in the UK, it goes back to something David Wells wrote back in the early 90s uh, in his book, God in the Wasteland. And the problem is this that God has become weightless, weightless. Um, now the, what we're presented with God in the Bible is that the notion of his glory kabod, which is linked to the idea of weightiness. And basically I think we've got a weightless God. It's there in our worship services. It's there in our thinking. It's there in our conversations, the way in which we're shaping our values and, and what we think is important in life. God, for all intents and purposes, needn't be there. And we need to recapture a sense of the godness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God, certainly the sheer mercy of God. But if you don't have the, 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 the majesty of God, then the mercy of God will be a cheap thing and will not be mercy at all. And I think that to me is is the heart of the problem. In some ways, the the, the way in which we're to move forward is to go back. And it's a matter of, to use the technical term retrieval. And we've got to retrieve our evangelical traditions, not because they're just evangelical and they're just because of the tradition, but because they are actually rooted in scripture. And I'm talking about the sort of Augustinian, Calvin, tra- strong tradition, which goes back to the Apostle Paul and to, to Jesus himself. And therefore, having an absolute, complete confidence in the gospel. That this is God's self-presentation self-present- of himself. That the Bible isn't just another book. It is, it, is, it is the self-communicative presence of God. And we're talking about the presence of God. Can we get that? The presence of God. The, the infinite one, the high, holy one, the high and lifted up one is the one who chooses to be the God for us, that chooses to be the God in the presence of his people. And we've got to grasp that by faith. We don't fabricate it. We don't don't try and whip it up. We we don't develop a seven-step program for church growth and take all the management techniques, whatever, from, from the world. We don't count out to the world and and just echo the world. We've got to say, you know what? We're we're, we're talking about another world which intrudes into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And that intrusion is disruptive, is uncomfortable, but it's gloriously healing and restorative. We've got to have not a, a, a confidence in the gospel. Not a truncated gospel, but the full gospel.
0: So we pray now, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, for every church up and down the country that is set towards faithfulness or that has been called to faithfulness and will become faithful. And we pray that every church leader would hear what it is that you're saying to the churches at this time, that there wouldn't be this subjectivity to that, that there would be an objective felt sense of weight to what it really is that you're saying to your people at this time and we pray together now that this vlog series would achieve the purposes for which you sent it and that your word as it's sent would achieve the purposes for which it is sent never returning void we pray in the precious name of jesus amen Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Into the Prayer. We trust that it's been a comfort and inspiration as well as perhaps a, a provocation towards the number one goal, which is faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. If you want to get involved with what we're doing, we've got a new way now of trying to encourage that more intentionally. Go ahead to the show notes and check out the link to the Patreon page that we've got up. Perhaps perhaps it would be good for you to get involved in that, not just only for a financial Um, contribution stroke commitment but also towards developing relationship we're open to that with people obviously within reason so go ahead check that out and until next week let's continue to pray mara and arthur above all things come lord jesus